And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. It is Monday, the first Monday of the month where we actually haven't had a holiday. And that means we're going to be talking money here in a minute. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for, for being here. We are broadcasting live to YouTube, Odyssey, and Facebook. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi For Me. And happy to have all of you with us. It looks like the signal is going out. And uh, we've got some people in the chat. And I've got some kind of a dog hair or something on my tongue. I don't know. Ah. Office dog making his presence known. Uh, hello. And no, I have not been licking a dog. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, like I said, I mentioned the live chat. Uh, if you are not with us live, you can always leave a comment or send an email live from the bunker at sci fi for me.com. And if you are a podcast consumer, you can consume our product on various different podcast platforms. And that music just ends just like that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, all right, yes, I mentioned it is uh, it is time for our money discussion, and as we always do, we bring on people who know more about it than I do. Matthew Stevens and Dan Danford are with us this morning. Uh, well, I guess it's afternoon now. Welcome, gentlemen. Happy Monday. Uh, well, it's happy Monday for somebody. I don't I don't <laughs> know if it's happy Monday for a lot of the businesses that we're going to be talking about, but uh, yeah, it's. Um, doesn't look like it's going to be a happy Monday for Penguin Random House. I guess we could start there. But how how have you gentlemen been doing? You guys had a had a good Labor Day weekend, and what's mm-hmm. what's what's catching up in your world? Uh, well, I'm primarily a real estate guy, so finished multiple properties here the last month, so I can finally start working on my own. So, and just you know chugging away the markets don't stop take a day out but uh, they're going someplace pretty much all around the world so no uh, just keeps going so let i mentioned the i mentioned the penguin random house thing why don't we start there because this is this is news that broke over the weekend the department of justice now for those who don't know penguin random house and simon and schuster have been talking about a merger uh, with Penguin Random House basically acquiring Simon & Schuster. This is relevant especially for us in the genre space because Simon & Schuster uh, is the parent company of Pocket Books, which publishes Star Trek novels, and Penguin Random House has distribution deals for the major comic book companies now in addition to various other different things that they do. So... So this one really kind of uh, collides in our space a bit, and the Department of Justice says this should not, this 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 cannot pass. Uh, this is uh, Publishers Weekly, where I'm finding this. In post-trial briefs made public late on September 10th, lawyers for the U.S. Department of Justice say they have proven the Penguin Random House's proposed blockbuster acquisition of rival Big Five publisher Simon & Schuster is anti-competitive and should be blocked. Yes, that's all one sentence. (laughs) Um, It's a Hemingway sentence. Andrew Albanese 
Split that in two, please. <clears throat> that's, uh, that's a mouthful. Uh, offering their view of the law and the evidence after months of fact-finding and three weeks of live testimony at last month's high-profile trial, Department of uh, DOJ attorneys call the proposed acquisition precisely the march toward concentration and monopsony power that Congress enacted the Clayton Act to prevent and insisted the proposed merger would substantially lessen competition for authors' manuscripts. Also, one sentence. Um, okay, so the Department of Justice has weighed in. They say this is going to make this thing too big. And it's kind of ironic, really, to me, given the fact that they've allowed so many other companies to buy so oh, yeah. many other companies like Disney buying Fox and Amazon buying MGM and... And nobody blinks an eye at any of that, but your publishing companies suddenly are getting what? What monopsony? What is that? I, that's a new word for me. I've I never. Heard I of questioned that. it when I read the uh, article myself. I was. It was a new word for me as well. Well, let us see what uh, good old Merriam-Webster says. Well, this is this is Wikipedia. I don't want Wikipedia. Uh, I do have Investopedia. Uh, monopsony is a market condition in which there is only one buyer, the monopsonist. Like a monopoly, <laughs> a monopsony also has imperfect market conditions. The difference between a monopoly and a monopsony is primarily in the difference between the controlling entities. A single buyer dominates a monopsonized market while an individual seller controls a monopolized market. Does that make any sense? Is that so? Basically, they're saying that Penguin Random House is the only player in this in this uh, in this game right now, and they're trying to buy everybody up, and that's not supposed to happen. Is that yeah, how I'm reading this? They, they're afraid they would be the only ones around to pay a quarter million dollars for a manuscript. Um, I guess not many publishers could do that. It seems odd that the DOJ would be concerned about something like that. But. Yeah, especially since, you know, uh, book publishing has changed so much over the last, um, you know, even 10 years sure. with the print by demand publishing and all that kind of stuff. It, you would think it would be a, a, a narrower, a narrower market anyway. Uh -huh. But then maybe that's part of their argument as well. Since it's a narrower, narrower market and you have fewer and fewer buyers, I mean, it really goes, Jason, kind of to what we've talked about in the past, which is, um, how the creatives are the ones that pay the price for some of this stuff, the people who actually create content. Right. And what the Dar Department of Justice is saying here is that this is, this is not going to be good for authors. And in particular, it's not going to be good for the big authors to command the big um, uh, advances when, when they write a book. Well, and I have to say, your your slip of the tongue there, the dark Department of Justice. I kind of like that. It's it's uh, it's uh, a little apropos, I think. Well, the other thing that came out in the midst of all of this trial was the fact that, I, and I don't have it in front of me. I gotta I gotta find it. But apparently, according to the discovery process and the documents that were that were entered into court, most of the books that are published in traditional publishing are only selling maybe a dozen copies. Yeah. 
these are the you know the major blockbusters and whatnot maybe a couple of thousand copies and now now that puts a whole new perspective on crowdfunded yeah. books self-published books where you're selling you know a thousand copies 1500 copies 10,000 copies whatever you're doing better than the traditional publishers which are only selling 12 that that just that that's just crazy to me but it also explains why they don't put a whole lot of money into marketing because we're not going to sell maybe maybe 20 of these books mm -hmm. yeah that and, number's shockingly low so but distribution has changed so dramatically too because so many books i mean even if i do buy a book it's rare that i go buy the hardbound book i mean what i do is buy the electronic version right for my Kindle, mm -hmm. and that's the way a lot of books are delivered today. And of course, you know that's a sweetheart deal for the publisher. They have no costs. I mean, there's no variable costs. You're just uploading an electronic file to somebody. You know, it's not like where you used to have to publish. You know, so, so where the where the publishing business did not work very well is when a supposed blockbuster book went out there and they actually printed tens of thousands of copies and delivered them to bookstores all across the country and then the book didn't sell, right? right? And, it goes and so, exactly, so now you just have stacks of books and that's how they end up in the half-price bookstore and stuff is because they're basically remainders that have been returned back to the publisher and anything they get for them is more than the nothing they're going to get with them just stacked someplace. Well, with this new model, I mean, the advance is still real, but the cost of actually printing books and distributing them around the country is gone. Um, and, and so that's changed dramatically. But you still have to have those distribution channels, and that's the whole thing. And that's why they don't want these two or three big companies to have them, I think. Well, Penguin Random House handles distribution for a lot of this stuff anyway. It's 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 almost right. like you know we've we've locked the barn after the horse has has run out. It's not like it's going to do a whole lot of good. And and Sci-Fi Snob's got an interesting question in here. Isn't it only five thousand copies to make the New York Times bestsellers list? I'm not sure exactly what the count is on the number of of copies sold. I do know that the the New York Times bestseller list is a lie. Uh, it's a marketing tool, and it doesn't necessarily reflect actual sales. Uh, if you wanted something a little bit more accurate, there's a, a service called BookScan, which actually tracks point of sale. We scan the barcode, and there's a transaction for this item. And that list looks quite a bit different from the New York Times bestseller list on any given day. So whether it's a New York Times bestseller list or not, it doesn't necessarily reflect that it's a bestseller, you know. And, and for, the, for the Department of Justice to come in and say this is a bad deal, where were they five years ago, ten years ago? Why is this particular one a bad deal over all of the others? You know, why didn't they step in when Disney wanted to buy 20th Century Fox, for example? You know, it doesn't make it, this doesn't make any sense to me. Well, that, I think, that was my thought. That why why are they concerned about this one and uh, so many other monopolies are just running running uh, wild. So, 
And if I had to guess, I'd guess that uh, uh, you guys are both absolutely right about the importance of publishing compared to some of these other things. But one difference is that publishing has traditionally been New York City, right? Yeah. I mean, New York City is about publishing and publishing houses, so it's highly visible. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if you had some major um, lawyers on both sides of this uh, because of its visibility and stuff. Um, it, it is very interesting. and But I, it does go back to the, the, the guy that's most likely to lose out is the guy who wrote the book, right? Right. The, the creator of the content. Yeah, and uh, so that's another tie back to some of the things we've talked about in past in past months. Although, Dan, I will I will take issue with your habit of buying electronic copies over physical media because you're just contributing to the problem. <laughs> but no, precisely. I, I mean, I make that joke, but you you look at and this is this is something we'll talk about a little bit later. Let's say, Dan Danford, you have uh, posted something in your social media that we find offensive. We're going to remove all of your access, Amazon Web Services. We're going to take all of your access to your Kindle material away from you until you repent and, and yeah. do, some, do some community service or something, and then you get your Kindle books back. You know, I mean, that's that's not unreasonable to assume that we're going that down that path. I've got some stories that'll take us there here a little bit yeah. later on, but I think the other thing that's interesting is uh, two trends that my wife and I talk about a lot. One is that people don't read anymore, um, and I think that you can you can pretty much I mean you know bring up a book in a conversation and see how many people around the room even know what you're talking about yeah. because people just don't read. And then the other thing is, and, and this is a, a publishing statistic, I wish I'd know where it comes from uh, so I could give you source material, but that's even among bestsellers and stuff, people usually don't read over the first couple chapters. <laughs> it's very rare that somebody reads an entire book. Right. So, and, uh, you know, so especially in the day where hardbound books are 25 or $30 or whatever they are, People are disinclined to pay that and then, I mean, to read just a couple of chapters kind of thing. It's a whole lot easier to do on the Kindle. Is that, a, is that an artifact, do you think, of the, the dependency on our society being wired so much? And, you know, now we're on YouTube and TikTok and Instagram and, yeah. and, and social That's media. That's part of it. I mean, it's, it's the same phenomenon as people who don't read newspapers, you know. Um, I've, I've got people in my office that, you know, don't subscribe to a newspaper. They get all of their uh, content from from video someplace. Yeah. Uh, which makes you wonder, you know, about the veracity of that information. But uh, that's that's it's just a it's a cultural shift in how people gather information. It's uh, getting news from videos is so time consuming you can read an article so much faster than watch a video that and then you're so dependent on the director's interpretation of it so. yeah yeah well and that's the thing is sound bites are you know you know even in um even even in the finance world and stuff like that a lot of the content that's out there on any of the stations has no depth to it at all i mean it's just the headlines well, and I think the other thing, too, is you factor in the emotional context of things where if you're watching a speech, 
or, or listening to a speech. I mean, you remember the, the, the Kennedy-Nixon debates were famous for this yeah. because people who saw the debates said Kennedy won. And people who listened to the debates without that visual component said Nixon won those debates. And now, these days, you know, who's going to read the transcript of a speech? We're going to listen to it. We're going to get bits and pieces. It's going to get chopped up and taken out of context. Or if you get something like, if you get something like President Asterisk's speech from Philadelphia the other night, where he's basically up there doing his best Adolf impersonation, you know, the, the media is going to spin on it and tell you what he really meant. Nobody, nobody digs into the substance of anything anymore. Do you think that's a byproduct of public education and indoctrination, or is there something else going on here? I think people are uh, going to go in and they're, they're going to listen and hear what they want to, and they're looking for support of it. Just your classic, classic media bias. They're yeah. going to seek out what you want. You're going to watch what you want. It's going to support your beliefs and. And I think attention spans have shortened to uh, incredibly low numbers. Mm -hmm. So people, you know, it, it, that even comes from, you know, forgive me, but even with cable TV, you know, <laughs> where you used to have three or four channels and, and people would watch the news or something. Right. Now with dozens of channels, many of which are meaningless, but somebody still sits there and clicks through all the channels for something to capture their attention. And I, I think it's just, you know, the pace of today's life, people don't, well, how many people you know, honestly, who sit down even for 30 minutes a day to read anything? You know, the newspaper, a book, anything. They just don't do it. Yeah. Uh, Dave's right. It's, just, it's a society of bits and bytes. And, and it it's, is. You know, it's sound bites, it's data bites, it's, you know, Give me everything prepackaged in 30 seconds or less. I mean, we see YouTube pushing the shorts in order to try to drive uh, drive the same kind of traffic that TikTok gets. You know, uh, Facebook is doing their stories, and you know everybody wants to do these 60 second or less video things. And we haven't leaned into it yet. I don't. I I just don't want to change our model again because the YouTube rules keep changing. The algorithm six months from now is not going to care about shorts. But it's it's interesting that all of this is happening and the social media companies are, I think, part of this. But I think also they're falling victim to the cycle as it's as it's deteriorating, too, because we've got Snapchat here, uh, the the corporate uh, entity snap cutting 20 percent of its work workforce they're getting out of original content that they're making which i don't know that i was even aware that they were making original content but everybody's got to get in on that space somehow let's go make some stuff and turns out it costs more than than you might expect surprise surprise any of us who have been in that business would tell you that it's going to cost maybe three or four times more than what you expect it to, at least, depending on what you're making. But this is a story out of Deadline, and they're basically saying here, reeling from an advertising slowdown in a grim economic environment. Oh, you mean like a recession? <clears throat> Snapchat parent Snap Incorporated laying off about 1,600 workers, about 20% of its workforce. The dramatic cuts follow a series of grim financial reports 
which sent the company's shares plunging in recent months. Snap stocks shot up almost 9% on heavy trading volume closed to close the day at 1088. Now that was on August 31st, and they're currently sitting at 1259 a share. And the five the five day run you can see right here at about September 8th they started tracking higher and it looks like they're having a little bit of a growth spurt. Is, are we going to see this kind of thing happen with all the social media companies besides Twitter? Twitter's its own thing because of everything that's going on with Elon Musk. But their is, revenue has gone up every year. Uh, have they? I guess they just don't. I don't know if they they are anticipating a fall in revenue or just that it's going to cost more to to run the thing. But uh, things aren't growing as fast as they thought they would. The Netflix, for the first time ever, had their, a decline in membership. Yeah, in subscribers, first time that's never happened. They still have twenty two hundred twenty million. So, who would have guessed they had eight thousand employees in the first place? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, seriously. So that's the kind of thing that anytime there's a contraction, um, you know, ad revenues fall and then you start having to cut the fat. I mean, it's real easy to be fat, dumb and lazy when, when the world's going gangbusters because everybody makes a ton of money and nobody cares. But when things get tough, then you have to go back and reassess these things. Yeah. And this is the equivalent to me of... Um, of, of companies, you know, going offshore for manufacturing. Okay. It costs too much to manufacture here. So let's see if we can find it someplace else. That's what these guys are doing. They're saying, we're going to outsource the content. We aren't going to make it ourselves anymore. It's too expensive and doesn't generate enough. Um, but I mean, I would have never guessed in a million years that they had 8,000 employees. Well, and, and the flip side of that, too, you look at something like uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, for example, when they sit there and say, we're not going to make our own content specifically only for HBO Max. We're going to make it so we can sell it. We're going to find different places where we can generate revenue with it because this is a business and we want to make a profit. I mean, that's crazy right. talk. But But they're realizing that... You know, there is this, you've got to do this cost-benefit analysis to see if you're spending more than you're making, then you probably need to be doing something different. Yeah, sort of a related discussion was the one about Disney and uh, somebody asked about uh, ESPN. There was some uh, shareholder discussion about spinning off, you know, and uh, th so that com that's the same sort of discussion, actually. It's, is it is it easier and better and more profitable to uh, to buy uh, content from others or is it to generate our own? And the ESPN model has been to generate its own. I mean, they hire a bunch of old jocks basically and put them in front of a camera and let them talk about sports or they broadcast games and that kind of thing. And for them in the past, that's not been a real expensive model to, to generate lots of content with lots of eyeballs you know whether that's going to continue in the future or not it kind of remains to be seen but in the argument that we should spin it out on its own or we should keep it those are the those are the very you know that's the, that's the basis of the discussion yeah well and and dave's right it is called show business not uh not show hobbies or anything like that this is variety investor daniel Lowe backs off Disney ESPN sale proposal 
citing better understanding of company's growth and innovation plan. So this guy hot to trot saying we got to get rid of get rid of ESPN. Now, not so much. Activist investor Daniel S. Loeb of Third Point has backed off his proposal from last month for Disney to divest itself of ESPN in order to devote even more resources to content creation for streaming platforms. I, here, here again, we're talking about this, the streaming side of things, and all of these companies went hard in the paint for this stuff, to use a sports expression, and they're finding out that streaming is not necessarily the best use of their money. And it's interesting that Loeb comes in and says, okay, well now if I, if I, I understand better now what the strategy is, and this comes after Bob Chapek's new contract and after he starts cleaning house, I'm guessing at some point somebody sat Loeb down and said, look, here's the plan. Shut up. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. It's going to be fine. Just hold off. And Loeb is playing ball, seems like. You know, it sounds like somebody told him behind the scenes, this is actually what's we're, what we've got going, and now he's okay with it. Uh, you can't put the genie back back in the box you know so we'll find out two years from now whether he's right or whether he was wrong yeah uh Loeb says he gained a better understanding of disney's plans to more deeply integrate espn into its direct-to-consumer operations and the emerging disney bundle of channels the social media missive signals that Loeb will not step up his public pressure on disney and seek to field an alternative slate of directors at the company's annual meeting next spring he says, we have a better understanding of ESPN's potential as a standalone business and another vertical for Disney to reach a global audience to generate ad and subscriber revenues. We look forward to seeing Mr. Pitaro execute on the growth and innovation plans, generating considerable synergies as part of the Walt Disney Company. So I don't know who Pitaro is, uh, but it sounds like if they're talking about ESPN being a vertical and all of these other things, then it sounds like uh, ESPN might get folded into uh, whatever it is that they got going, maybe with their uh, their cricket league stuff that they just made a deal on in India, maybe. Could that be part of the whole big picture of this with regard to sports? Because Disney's, Disney's doing fine. I mean, you look at, uh, you look at their stock, I say they're doing fine. They're doing better than they were during all of that kerfuffle with Florida. They're at $116.28 a share. Over the last five days, they've tracked up quite a bit. So, are I guess it sounds like Disney's making all the right moves at this point. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that, that sounds like an interesting untapped market, the cricket thing in the... It's huge. Second largest country on earth. That's uh, I'll have to read up on that one. Yeah, it's a it's huge a deal. It, it was a big deal. And what was notable at the time was the fact that during all of this, during the bidding war, and we actually talked about it a little bit here, and and Culture Casino got in and talked about it. With the the deal is 
they're going to have broadcast rights, but they gave up bidding for the streaming rights, I think is how that is. Was what, I think they have the broadcast rights. So, so the streaming has kind of taken a, a, a back seat to a lot of other things. You know, there's a lot of it, emphasis now on parks. JPEG did an interview coming out of D23 uh, where he's saying, you know, we've, we've, got, we've got plans for parks. And he's got this idea that he wants Disney Plus to be more than just a streaming channel. He wants it to be an immersive, interactive, not just watch something on TV, but it's curated to your particular preferences and your needs using the metadata. And maybe there's a VR component and a metaverse component and an augmented reality component, all these different things that are per, uh, personalized and tailored to your experience as the consumer. And plus, oh yeah, by the way, we have this new ad-supported tier that we're selling for $1.99. That's, that's just where I was going. And I think that may be part, go, go back to the ESPN thing, is if they do come out with an ad-supported tier, uh, which they have talked about and other streamers are talking about. Netflix is talking about the same thing. Yeah. Um, if they do, then sports programming, I mean, that's one of the biggest ad revenue generators that's out there. So if you have a tier that maybe doesn't have as a dollar and a half or maybe even a free tier that includes ad revenues, uh, that could be particularly appealing to a Disney that has the ESPN. I tell you, Sports Porg is going to be the name of my new band. <laughs> <laughs> good, good point. But yeah, no, you're right though because you know they're they're trying to find ways that they can that they can make money on all of this stuff because everybody's everybody's starting to lose the the I don't know if there's a a tipping point or if you know just the 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 honeymoon phase is over. But, you know, Netflix has laid off, what, 300 people, and you've got what's going on with Snap. Even though Netflix has hired Snap officials, uh, officers. Executives, advertising officials. Yeah. Specifically, advertising. Yeah. So there's so the. You see there's where that's that going. Thing. Yeah. But, yeah. And, and by the way, if you want to buy ads on Sci Fi for Me TV, they're not expensive. Um, <laughs> well, they will be on Netflix and uh, Disney, I guarantee. Oh yeah, no, I I fully expect that they'll be um, what we what we call in the business not cheap. Yes, um, but it's, yeah. uh, about six months out, they'll be starting their their advertising tier. Well, I and I wonder what kind of metrics they're going to use to determine the value of that, because it, you know, in in broadcast television, you have the Nielsen ratings is generally the the main metric that's used. You also have some uh, some statistics and and analytics that you use in your metadata and your SEO and the stuff for your website traffic, <clears throat> but that's generally secondary. It's a completely different audience a lot of times. And but look at that. But the whole Elon Musk thing, seriously, with Twitter is yeah. about this very issue. It's whether or not those eyeballs are real eyeballs or not. The metrics that they have been using for ad stuff uh, at, at the very least are suspect, right? It, we even had discussion on one of the articles that I reviewed for this that, that said, you know, I looked at, at Twitter three or four years ago as a purchase and I was skeptical of the numbers then. And now we have this just 
open skepticism by uh, Elon Musk. I mean, so you're right. Advertising relies on, on you have to have specific numbers, how many people are watching and the demographics of those people and all that. And there has not been a mechanism yet for some of these products. And that that's a big impediment. Well, I would think I would think that Netflix will be able to know exactly how many people do watch their particular product. Of course, you don't know who's in the room, but that could be done. And uh, I would think the ads would be worth more uh, starting out because it's going to jump out first time you see a Netflix ad, a commercial on Netflix. Oh, let's watch this. Well, and, I, and and you've also got, you know, you talk about the bot traffic over on Twitter. I, I ran across an article, and I, I, don't, I don't see it now, but a former intelligence guy, uh, FBI, I think is where he was, he says that about 80% of the users on Twitter are bots, which is much higher number than anything that I've seen coming out of anything as far as discovery or reports or, or anything. Uh, and and that's a huge number that's just, you know, and, and we've seen these bot farms in India and China. You see all of the different shelves. they got all of the different mobile devices up running off of, off of laptops. And you just got this one person there going tick, 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 tick. And it blasts out to all of these different accounts. And we've seen time and again when, you know, when Twitter blows up about uh, a particular movie, you know, Captain Marvel, Last Jedi, you know, any, any of that stuff. The Amber Heard, Johnny Depp thing. Anytime, yeah, and, and Data Racer 117 has been really good about this kind of stuff. You take these screen screenshots of all of these different accounts saying the exact same thing word for word. And it's clearly a script that's being run somewhere. And you're like, okay, well, this is all the bot traffic. But 80%. I, I think it's all very suspect right now. I do, and I think uh, that's that's one of the reasons why ad revenues are falling. Is um, like I said, when when everybody when there's lots of money flowing around, uh, you're willing to waste some, but when things get tighter, you aren't willing to waste it, and it's hard to know what's right and what's wrong. Yeah, well, and and from that standpoint, if you start from a from a place where you have limited resources. Right. And then suddenly you have a bunch of limited you, you have you have less limited resources, let's say. And it's there's no no such thing as unlimited. But let's say you have suddenly all of this, you know, you're flush with cash. It's it's tempting to sit there and go, Oh, well I got all this money now. I'll just go spend it. And you know, that's where a lot of people in individually get messed up because, you know, I was you know, my personal experience when I was after my divorce, I'm living on my own and, and I'm working paycheck to paycheck, barely making, not even at some points, you know, making it to be able to pay all the bills. And now, I, you know, I get married. We've now got combined income in the household and, and we're able to do a little bit more. And I'm still in that mindset where I don't want to spend any money. I, I don't, you know, no, we don't have it to spend. Even though we might have it to spend, I've got it in my head, we don't have it to spend. But you get some of these companies that say they go, oh, yeah, we're flush with cash. Let's go. Let's go on a bender. 
and you know all of these companies sitting there going you know buying buying product or buying content or or paying for productions and whatnot and they're starting to realize that this is a money loss netflix is cutting back snapchat's cutting back all of these different companies that are sitting there going well you know maybe maybe this is not our 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 Ballowick here you know, AT&T found out, and now here how many billions of dollars in debt they were when they sold to, to Warner Brothers Discovery. It's hard to imagine that anybody can make any money doing any of this stuff, whether it's making it or distributing it. We've got Regal Parents, Cineworld, filing for bankruptcy. See yeah. what I did there? Yeah. <laughs> that was smooth. That was, that was quite a transition. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's uh, almost like I've done this a few times. Uh, so, deadline reporting here. This is September 7th. Regal Parents Cineworld files for bankruptcy. So, Regal Cinemas, this is the movie theater chain. Uh, there was a deal updated here on the 9th. Regal owner granted access to up to $785 million in financing. So, the bankruptcy court is basically letting them uh, access uh, financing in order to basically pay the bills at this point. <clears throat> Cineworld, which operates the Regal Cinemas in the U.S. and certain of its subsidiaries, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in the United States Bankruptcy Court for the Southern District of Texas earlier this week and have now received approval from the U.S. Uh, bankruptcy Court for the Southern District of Texas for first-day relief related to its Chapter 11 proceedings. As part of that, the court granted the group immediate access to up to approximately $785 million of an approximate $1.94 billion debtor-in-possession financing facility that, together with the group's available cash reserves and cash provided by operations, is expected to provide sufficient liquidity for Cineworld to meet its ongoing obligations. So it, it basically says, if I'm reading this right, I've never heard of a debtor-in-possession financing facility. So basically they're borrowing money in order to pay all their operational expenses. Is that what I'm reading here? Yeah, interestingly, so uh, if you part, another part of that says basically we can't guarantee that there'll be anything left for shareholders when this is done. I mean, they basically say we're converting, uh, we're borrowing all this extra money because we think we can use it to turn the company around. But there's a chance here that we don't turn the company around and all the shareholders lose all their money, which that's what bankruptcy is, right? Well, that is. I'm, I'm a little confused here then because uh You've got the filing for Chapter 11 that happened uh, just last week, so it was September 7th. Right. We had this report in August that said that they were getting ready to do it. But back in March, they right. were fine. They said 2021, we had improvement, res revenues rise, and losses narrow. So this, you, you're in a matter of not even six months or so. You have this report that said things are fine, and now things are not fine. What happened? I don't know what their financing situation was, but uh, overall revenues in uh, prior to the pandemic for theaters were about twelve billion dollars, and in twenty twenty it fell to two billion, and it was back up to six billion. I would think they'd be doing better now than they did a year ago. Uh, this stock, by the way, 
pre-pandemic was $230. Now it's $3. So, so most of the shareholder value is already disappeared. Yeah, so there's not a lot left. Not much cap. Well, and the other thing, and this I thought was interesting too, is it talked in there uh, a bit about uh, real estate, you know, consolidation mm -hmm. of real estate and stuff, which means that they own a lot of theaters. Um, and, uh, you know, that's anytime you've got fixed costs, <laughs> that's, that's an issue. Right. And, uh, you know, you would think that they would be looking at liquidating some of the, some of the real estate property if they can, yeah, that's uh, in order to, in order to shore up their finances and stuff. But I don't, uh, you know, just based on the article I read or the articles I read, um, this doesn't seem like a sure thing to me. Well, no, I would think the real estate would have very little value at this point. You've got to sell it to another theater unless you knock it down. I mean, and, and usually the kinds of locations and stuff that theaters are in isn't real valuable real estate. Well, not only I that, but, but with the real estate market being the way it is now and you've got interest rates going up, that's it's not a it's not a buyer's market. Well, it's not a I guess maybe it's not a seller's market you know, if I think about that, because you're not going to get as much for the same size property as you would have two years ago or three years ago. So what what options do they have? Say you're advising these guys and you're going to tell them what to do next. What do they do? How do you save the company? I'd, I'd cherry pick the theaters that might have a chance of making money. That's where how I would start and liquidate the ones you could liquidate. And, uh, you know, you and it's a it's a it's a worldwide conglomerate, right? As I recall, Regal is just one of the names. There are yeah, a I number think, of other names. I think um, they're based in the UK. If uh, if I remember actually, yeah, I think so too. Um, yeah, it's it, I I would just say it'd be it's going to be tough. Um, remember how excited uh, everyone was just months ago with the new Top Gun movie. Mm -hmm. And now that was the first thing to draw people back into the markets. I mean, some of us have been back in the markets for the last year, but there are a ton of people that hadn't been back in the markets in the last year. And uh, all these streaming services and things like that have taken hold in a way that was not there five or 10 years ago. I just think it's a bleak outlook. I mean, I hope they I hope they make it. I hate to see the theaters go, but I think it would be a tough uh, a tough job. Dan Danford with the black pill for the day, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, that's, not, that's not a business I'm going into at this point. That's what but, I would say. But yeah. you're right, though. I mean, you know, Where you have you have over the last two years businesses have essentially been firebombed by the the well the, by the government i mean telling us that we can't do business telling us we can't be open everything's everything's closed everything's locked down and now we've got employment shortages and the supply chain issues that are going on and all of these different things that have inhibited our ability to do business is no surprise i'm i'm really surprised that we're not seeing more of this because oh, the, it's been from the very beginning though it's been the entertainment businesses that have been hurt the, you know the restaurants and and the theaters and you know nightclubs i mean all those things are the ones that are because if you're using all your money for gasoline and food you don't have a lot left 
left over for the stuff that's just merely entertaining. And yeah. I think that's, we're seeing it. Yeah. Uh, and yes, Dave, Cineworld does own Regal Theaters. Um, over 7,200 screens, 549 theaters as of October 2019. It's the second largest theater circuit in the U.S. Uh, thank you for that, David. Um, yeah, if they go away, uh, what's what's left? AMC is the only one left? And do we have a monopsony? <laughs> uh, well, see, the thing about it is, so I guess... I guess we can take comfort in the fact that if movie theaters actually do go away, we can still watch movies in a virtual movie theater in the meta space, right? Because that's where all of this is going, right? It's all driving us online, you know, streaming services, and now and and the next phase of this is going to be the metaverse. You know, the virtual reality world. I mean, you've got Facebook sitting here. They're shutting down Facebook Gaming's mobile app. But the, web va- the web-based the web version will still be available. So here's, you know, here's a component that we don't want you on your mobile device. We want you on, on the site. We want you coming on your desktop or your PC or whatever and do your gaming that way. And this could lead to, oh, okay, we don't want you on your console anymore. We want you to put on this this visor and helmet and, and dive into the meta space and, and play in the virtual reality. I, I, I'm, I, I look at this stuff and I think, you know, when I was a kid, I thought it would be cool to live in the in the in the Star Trek universe in a world like Star Trek. You know, you had your communicators and your computers and your spaceships and all this. And the older I get, the less I want to live in that world because it has not gone the way that all of us have have hoped. You know, it there really is this 1984 Brave New World. I guess we're really close to Brave New World. I had said at one point, you know, Brave New World, Animal Farm, Fahrenheit 451, 1984. And with 1984, I mean, we've got Big Brother making his speech in Philadelphia, basically declaring 74 million Americans persona non grata. It's okay to hate us now. Um, Now you've got Brave New World. I have said the drug that's in Brave New World that keeps everybody pacified in our real world is social media is the online activity that we have. And through that social media stuff, we're going to start seeing social media scores, and everybody's equal, but some are more equal than others, and you're going to get access and privileges limited and restricted based on how you behave online. And that could be both in the meta space or just in social media space. But this seems to be one of those things where it's driving... We're driving everybody to a particular environment and we're going to limit your access to other options, other resources, and you're basically going to have to participate here or you're going to be completely left out. That, 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 that doesn't seem to me to be the best way to go. But am, am, I, am I reading this wrong? Well, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I have become um, a cynic about anybody's predictions of the future. 
and that includes the uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve Board and the uh, the people at the um, at the whatever it is the medical group the government the NCH or whatever it is the National Health Organization I, I just I just am cynical but I do think that like with Facebook what happens is somebody comes up with something and it looks like they're making a lot of money at it so everybody wants to dabble in it you know. And so let's start up our own gaming service. But then two or three years later, they realize, hey, that didn't really work for us very well. So we're going to get back out of it, you know. Yeah. And I think there's this constant churning. And sometimes it works. I mean, I remember uh, 30 years ago, this is really kind of a funny story, but, you know, Apple came out with the personal computer. There was no personal computer before Apple came out with the personal computer. And for the first eight or 10 years, nobody else was interested in it you know i happened to be at a i i did a job interview uh in las vegas for the big computer show where ibm finally introduced their personal computer you know they'd let apple experiment all these years yeah and of course you know uh, ibm became a real player i mean they genuinely changed but that's not the way it usually works <laughs> I mean, usually what happens is all the new players come in and find out that the guy who created it was the best at creating it anyway, so just leave it be. And, and so I think you're going to see you're going to see a lot of these streaming things like the ad revenues and things like they're going to try all these different things. And what's going to finally, you know, uh, survive is what sticks. I mean, is throw it on the wall and see what sticks. And it's pretty hard to choose that in advance. So I do see part of what you're saying, which is, you know, there's a consolidation there. And, and certainly right now, um, you know, it's a divided world and all that kind of stuff. But that doesn't necessarily mean it'll stay that way. We'll see. Yeah, well, if you can watch your movies at home, hook up and play your games, it's you don't have to worry about the theater revenues. and They'll never be able to compete with you. Yeah. Probably true. Well, and Sci-Fi Sci-Fi says virtual theaters with programs of the annoying guy talking on the phone uh, and the girl who crinkles the candy wrappers. So, <laughs> I mean, there, there's, there, that's that's the other thing. You know, you talk about behavior in the meta space. There has been article after article all of these right. years about online behavior and in the gaming world. Once we went to mul massive multiplayer RPGs, and and you're on the internet, and now you connect, you can connect with players all around the world through the internet. You know, there's always been this component, this complaint about online harassment of players, and you know, you you, you get the you get the trash talk, and you get the you know all of the different. Everybody's giving everybody a hard time, and sometimes it gets a little bit more intense than it should. But it raises those questions of how do you, you know, you, t you know, Snob makes the joke about the annoying guy talking and the, and the, the girl crinkling the wrappers. But online behavior, if we're getting into a meta space, here's an article in The Guardian that I ran across this morning. Can we create a moral metaverse? And the article basically talks about this person who experienced sexual harassment online within the virtual reality world. And how are we going to police that? And how are we going to monitor this and all of this? And I'm thinking, that's a scary question. Because now you're getting into 
behavior modification, social engineering, because now we're going to tie all this together. Let's say you have access to the metaverse through your social media or, you know, whatever kind of an access you have, you know, a console or a set of goggles or whatnot. And it's all tied in together because Meta is Facebook and Instagram and we don't like what you posted, so we're going to restrict your access to certain sections, or we're going to limit your access to particular pieces of information. And, and this goes back to what we found out about the FBI coming to the various different social media spaces and saying, hey, look, there's this stuff that's out there that we think is going to be Russian disinformation, you know, specifically about the Hunter Biden laptop, which turns out to be true. So you have a government agency lying to a private enterprise in order to coordinate and collude to suppress information that would affect an election, one, but also suppress free speech in violation of due process, in violation of the First Amendment. So a government entity and private enterprise working together to suppress speech, that's fascism, to, you know, in my, in my book. And now you're going to let these people be in charge of your meta space and whatever access you have there. And I'm sorry, Dave, I can't I can't process your transaction. I can't let you have access to this particular level of the of the metaverse until you delete that tweet and do 10 hours of community service and, and post a mea culpa that you're wrong. This is scary stuff to me. This is, I'm going to the cabin in the mountains and, and get away from all of this stuff, right? And have a, have a <laughs> FBI has entered the chat. I like that. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> I mean. Well, the, for me, the question is how long it persists. I mean, I, there's no question it's out there and there's no question that there's a lot of ugliness and I don't like it. But the pendulum tends to swing, and uh, my suspicion is um, it will swing back, you know, at some point. How much and, and how long, I don't know yet, but I just can't. This environment doesn't seem to me to be something that can be sustained in the long run. Well, I'm curious to see how much public backlash there is against uh, Facebook and but if you have if you have a population that's been intentionally dumbed down and yeah. indoctrinated into the government is the answer for everything and it's okay to have drag queens at your library and and performing for five-year-olds how, how do we recover from this uh, we hope that better heads prevail i used to have a friend who was a very successful politician and I'd say, oh, my God, you know, how did they elect that person or whatever? And he says, well, just we we will just hope that good prevails over evil. <laughs> and that's a good way of saying, it, you know, that's a, that's sort of a, a tenet of faith is that ultimately good will prevail over evil. Well, and, and that brings to mind the, the phrase it's frequently attributed to Mark Twain, but it goes back earlier than that. The idea, you know, um, evil gets around the world how many times before before good puts their shoes on or you know i'm par i'm yes. paraphrasing wildly there but you you say that and you you get this over the weekend where visa mastercard and american express the process payments they're going to you start using a new category for anything related to firearms 
in order to track this stuff. And I'm thinking, first of all, this is a violation of due process. And and what do they do with this information? Because if they can track your purchases by a particular category, whether it's firearms or not, anything. Well, we don't we don't want you spending a whole lot of money at the bookstore, for example. We don't want you know, we notice that you're buying a lot of candy and sugary drinks and we we don't think that you should be doing that. We want you to buy these crickets over here. We we want you to snack on these crickets and 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 bug juice instead. You know, you're you're not allowed you're your use of electricity was a little high this month. We want you to kind of dial back a little bit. And oh, by the way, we're in an energy emergency here in Colorado, so you can't turn your air conditioning on between this hour and this hour. And over in California, we're not going to let you buy gas-powered vehicles anymore, but we don't want you to power your electric, you know, charge your electric cars between this hour and this hour. It's almost like we've got insane people in charge. But you know yeah. this kind of this kind of thing goes back to well we noticed that you we noticed that you made a purchase for whatever it is it was it, it's a particular amount I mean if you buy a if you buy a gun safe for example that's a high dollar item yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean that you've bought a lot of stuff it means you've bought one thing that's very expensive but that's going to get you flagged. And now we're going to start watching. And, oh, by the way, you've been making all these purchases at these firearm stores. Now we're going to limit your access to the meta space, for example. Or what happens next? You know, we've got this, uh, this article from Not the Bee that basically says the extension of the payment processors using, the, using that category code to track these purchases the next thing to follow is going to be all of these anti-gun organizations pressuring the banks because next the banks are going to come in and let's say that the banks decide, well, we're not going to honor that transaction where you just bought that thing. Whatever the category is, it doesn't necessarily have to be limited to firearms. But, you know, oh, you, you spent money on... Take your pick. You know, you're going out to right. eat too many times. You're 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 buying too many ch- chocolate bars. Whatever. That slope's getting real slippery. And in a cashless environment, in a cashless society, because that's what they want us to do. They want to go all all digital currency and use debit cards and credit cards and and no cash. They can monitor your behavior. They can direct your behavior based on what kind of access they allow to give you. This is Big Brother stuff. How do we stop this before it gets out of control? Or or, or are we too late for that? Well, I think the banks would be tracking them so they could take it upon themselves to, at the government's request, restrict gun sales, obviously. And uh, uh, we don't need Congress to do that. But uh, they could sure step in and score some political points with some faction of their depositors. Well, now we, I mean, I already get, every now and again, if I make a purchase, like say if I, if I buy a piece of equipment and, and it's, or if I get something on eBay and it's coming from outside the United States, I'll get a ping 
from my bank that says, hey, we, we noticed this purchase and it's coming from Singapore or where, wherever it is this, this item is, is this you? You know, it gets flagged because it's an unusual source for the transaction. Right. And I can sit there and say, yeah, that was me or no, that wasn't me. And they take care of it. This is the same kind of thing, only in now it's, hey, we noticed you had this transaction. Do you really want to? It's not that hard. It's not that big of a leap to think that the banks can actually do this because they have the technology already to track this stuff. And we know that they've been sitting there saying, you know, with eBay, you know, any, anybody that's making more than $600 or more on eBay, now all of that stuff has to get reported. And we've got 80, what, 87, 87,000 new IRS agents. They're not going to be coming after Bill Gates. That's for sure. Yeah. I, I think it, it, it may you live in interesting times. <laughs> challenging. Uh, challenging times. Good way to say it. Yeah, I guess that's how we say it, right? All right, gentlemen. Well, we've gone through our hour. Um, I don't, you know, if we could solve world peace right here, I would be, <laughs> I would be amazed. I don't know that we're going to have to, we're, we're going to be able to do that though. But it's always, always fun to have the two of you here and get some interesting conversations, some ideas flowing back and forth, kind of get some people educated on some things that are going on. Always fun. We will have to do this again. All right. So where can people find you guys for follow-up if uh, anybody wants to know more about what y'all do, how would y'all think about uh, things that are going on? I, I'm uh, just, you can track me down on Facebook somewhere. So I don't handle <laughs> customers, but, uh, anyway, but uh, yeah. I'll talk to anybody. Yeah, you can find uh, Family Investment Center online uh, or Ask Dan Danford. That's a, a different site that I've got where I uh, talk about sometimes some non-financial stuff. So uh, I'm easy to find. All right. And, of course, you can find us on all the different social media accounts and places and video platforms. We're, we crossed the Rubicon on Odyssey. We're at 202 followers over there now. So thank you for that. And uh, we do have a newsletter you can sign up for. If you've got material you would like for us to review, whether it's a book or a movie or short film or something, you can send that to us. There's our mailing address there. And if you want to send us money, we've got a tip jar set up over on PayPal, although PayPal is another one of those payment processors. I mean, they're, ho they're holding hostage over a million dollars of Eric July's money. So we'll see how that works out. But uh, anywho... Another day, uh, another another discussion. We'll we'll have to circle back to that. All right? Anyway, all right, all of you in the chat, thanks very much for being here, and we do appreciate you uh, you taking the time to uh, give us your attention. Maybe we're doing something right. I don't know. Feel free to share the link. Tell people about us, and uh, we will be back on Wednesday to do this all over again tonight on the H2O podcast. Mr. Harvey and I are going to be discussing the evolution of King Kong. And we'll be talking about that, the history of that character and where he's coming from and where he's going next. So be looking for that. Of course, we've got the, the uh, Ranker Pit tomorrow night with cussing and discussing of uh, various things going on in the Star Wars universe. So join us for that at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central. Tonight, H2O Podcast at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central. 
And then back here in the bunker on Wednesday, we'll do it all over again. In the meantime, there are four lights. Remember that. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.